0: Hello, and welcome to this um, podcast series with postgraduate students in the Department of Geography in Maynooth. So these are students who are taking um, a a module in spatial justice in in the department. And the students come from different disciplines, anthropology, media studies, sociology, and geography. And they're doing different degrees, PhDs, masters, uh, diplomas. So there's a whole range there. And uh, today we are going to be talking to Nicola Whelan, who is one of the MA students, taking the MA in Geography. And um, her work has been about um, agriculture, uh, alternative food systems, um, and the kind of longer historical um, developments in particularly Irish agriculture, but understanding that as part of a broader, sort of set of shifts in, in the global agri-food system. So you're very welcome, Nicola. Thank you. Uh, great to have you here, and looking forward to talking to you. Um, so maybe the best place to start is to get you to introduce yourself a little bit more and talk a bit about, about the topic that you have been looking at and how you got interested in it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so before I started the masters last September, Um, I was kind of working a couple of different jobs, and doing a bit of traveling for the few years before Um, and it seemed that there was kind of this recurring theme within that of food and kind of food systems that I kept touching off. Um, So I spent a few years working um, on the advertising account for one of the big Irish supermarkets and got kind of really interesting insights into how that system operates Um, and then I spent some time in new zealand where i was working in a big fruit exporting company and kind of dealing with the shipping and logistics of that and that really opened my eyes to kind of just how complex and globalized these systems have become um, so in my personal time then i was also kind of exploring more about this um, about you know alternatives to the system um, and just kind of what issues were with the the current system that we have So then when it came to picking my research topic for my thesis i really wanted to explore this in ireland about what alternatives are out there and particularly focusing on the food sovereignty movement in ireland so i think it's really important when looking at any contemporary issue to have an understanding of kind of the broader context and the history behind how this has developed so then when in our class here we looked at the um reading by John Bellamy Foster and Brett Clark looking at the rift of era, where they talked about the this concept of the metabolic rift from Marx, specifically in relation to Irish agriculture. I found that really interesting just to kind of understand where the system we have now started and how um, tracing how that's developed to where we are today
0: great thanks i think that the the fact that you had that first-hand experience which maybe we'll come back to in the kind of logistics and supermarkets is so interesting um you know because it gives gives you a sense of the scale of these things but yeah about the metabolic rift this is something that's come up i guess in in the other interviews and with the other students um which is about sort of casting our understanding back further in the past you know because there's obviously there's a lot of attention and talk in the media about you know, current crises, uh, you know, in the agricultural system in Ireland, whether it's environmental or whether it's around, um, you know, uh, farmers and incomes and so on. But this idea of looking much further back and getting a sense of how there is this uh, inheritance or these legacies of the past that shape the present, I'm trying to get to get a handle on that, um, you know, is a really interesting way in. So maybe you could talk a bit more about th- this concept of the metabolic rift and specifically how um, Marx developed that that concept um, through his analysis of of Ireland and the the Irish agricultural situation.
1: So yeah so Mark um, in his concept of metabolic rift talks about how this kind of symbiotic interdependent relationship between humans and nature um, ruptures and how in on the human side when there's this kind of Push for really intensive growth and expansion within capitalism that then outstrips the abilities of the natural systems, and generally this kind of event um causes the production systems to, you know, exhaust the natural systems to oh, above their capabilities. Um, so he actually used Ireland and the Irish agriculture situation as the kind of example of this concept, even as far back as the 19th century. Um, and he looked at, particularly under how colonial rule, how this developed. So, you know, Britain kind of viewed Ireland as its own personal farm and used it in whatever way was most kind of economically advantageous to them at any given period so we saw how grain was produced for a period and then that then changed to beef and dairy when that became more lucrative as a kind of global export for Britain um, and the system that they enforced was one where tenant farmers were really pressurized by landlords to engage in these like more and more intensive forms of farming just to keep up with the demand required from to kind of pay rent and um, and other like interest that was required so this meant that um, systems where you know soil would have had a chance to rest or they would have had a chance to kind of input what was seen removed from the soil yeah. in each season and there wasn't time for that and it was kind of a really like over different growing seasons the soil just became more and more degraded and exhausted um so it went from a situation where ireland was kind of noted as having particularly fertile soils where the soil actually wasn't that productive and this then was a vicious cycle where they had to keep putting more and more inputs into it and and we still kind of see that today there's this narrative that soils in Ireland kind of aren't necessarily that productive and that's why grass is you know one of the best Um, crops for us to grow and why we kind of have this the legacies of the real focus on beef and dairy also come from this colonial um decision to have that in Ireland so you know you have to understand that this doesn't necessarily have to be the way it is it's kind of developed because of certain things and we just need to I think it's really important to have an understanding of that when we're having these conversations about what agriculture in Ireland should look like
0: yeah, that's that. That was really well explained, and um, you know, I, I guess the key point there is that you know, uh, you know, soils don't become exhausted, or say if we talk about more contemporary environmental issues, you know, m- methane emissions don't increase, or water pollution doesn't worsen just because farmers are you know working in some kind of isolation and, and decide they don't care about the environment. There, there are these sort of external political and economic drivers. I mean, capitalist uh, uh, yeah. agri-food systems that are, 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 you know, putting these pressures and driving these, these um, consequences. Maybe you could say a little bit about, because um, that's the kind of, you know, colonial uh, history, 19th century um, sort of, um, you know, inheritance. But I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit more about um, even the last 40, 50 years, even, you know, since we joined the EC sort of shifts in agriculture um you know in that period um which is a you know a, a different kind of uh, phase of development and maybe you could say something about you know what is similar and also maybe something about what's different
1: so similar and different to to, well, to that
0: what you described i mean you know that we're we're not a colony anymore yeah and so you know the 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 the, the pressure which is this that, that, that we were this sort of breadbasket or this farm for, for Britain or England, that, that that relationship no longer exists. But yet you still have, you know, problems which we can analyze or understand using the metabolic rift. So how, you know, where, where are those pressures different? Where are they coming from? You know, h- I guess, how has the, the capitalist agri-food system changed if it's now not um, in that kind of, you know, more formal colonial um, uh, arrangement?
1: Um, so I think when we look at the more kind of recent period from the 1970s onward, and um, this would have been when Ireland joined the EEC, as it was called at the time, you can still see the legacies of colonialism in that, in the sense that, and, um, you know, I've mentioned how agriculture had become very focused on beef and dairy and quite specialised in that area. And at the same time, um, the kind of colonial system had destroyed the other indigenous industries that Ireland would have had. So we would have had quite a big textile industry, particularly in wool and linen. Um, and they, these were all gone. So when Ireland gained independence, it was left in a situation where you kind of, all we had to focus on in terms of fueling the growth of the country was our agricultural industry. Um, So then, you know, fast forward 50 years joining the EEC. And again, it was agriculture was kind of going to be the thing that Ireland focused on to to grow the economy. Um, And when we joined the EU, it gave access to a couple of different things. So, you know, EU grants were a big reason why we wanted to join the union. Um, And this allowed farmers to kind of really ramp up their production um kind of get loans to buy a lot more kind of specialist machinery and different like more land and just really expand Um, it also gave access to large quantities of synthetic fertilizers for the first time they would have been quite cost prohibitive before this and then it also kind of opens us up into this EU and kind of broader global market. so you can see here how Ireland kind of went from being a peripheral nation working towards, kind of focused towards Britain as the core power that we reoriented ourselves to kind of be a periphery of the EU and obviously it was willingly in this case, but this then meant that we started to kind of adopt a lot of the practices that were common in the EU and this was when Ireland kind of really came in line with dominance scientific management of agriculture that would have been um growing elsewhere um and this takes it's, kind of, it's the one we still have today to a majority extent where it takes quite a mechanistic view of agriculture and this is something that um carolyn merchant describes as the death of nature where stemming from the scientific revolution and a lot like western white male philosophers like Descartes and Bacon um, decided that nature could be kind of viewed as this machine that could be broken down into its component parts and they could be reorganized um, to be more efficient. And in agriculture, we see this kind of through, mainly through the system of um, fertilizers. And So say you, you input these kind of uniform, products of whether that be quite particular feeds that are kind of been bioengineered to be as efficient as possible and then introducing you know fertilizers have these kind of three key chemicals that were decided to be the ones that were most important um, and then you have then the uniform output of particular products um, and kind of more specialized and specialized as time went on but i think we're seeing now like people are realizing just how wrong this vision was, and particularly with soils, how they're these really complex living systems that we don't even actually really fully understand exactly how complex they are. So, you know, thinking that we can master these systems and kind of break it down to these really simplified components has led to a situation where, you know, soils globally are becoming really depleted and we're trying to kind of turn that around now.
0: Thanks. I was, again, It was really clear, really, not, um, uh, it's sort of beautifully explained. And I, I, guess it also reminds me going back to Marx and the metabolic grift, sort of, um, origins of this, that the idea that, you know, a lot of, of his work came from looking at, 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 the, the, the beginnings of soil science, you know, the likes of Justus von Liebig in the 1840s and fifties, cause there was a, a soil crisis, fertility crisis in Europe. And a lot of the debate was about what what the response should be, and you know Marx's um, you know political economic critique was that the problem is, is capitalist agriculture that it's 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 driving these problems, whereas there was a whole set of technical solutions that were being proposed, you know including um, you know importing organic fertilizer like guano from far away and so on, um, and I, I wonder you know is that you know when you're looking at t- today there is a sort of a, I wouldn't say a consensus, but maybe there is a consensus that that current agricultural practices, um, you know, forms of agricultural production are environmentally um, degrading. So that like, that point almost isn't debated. Where the debate seems to be is what the response should be. And there is a whole set of, of scientific, technoscientific proposals as you say, about how that can be fixed, you know, these technical fixes or spatial fixes. Um, and one of the things you talk about in, the, in, in your work, in your essay is around um, digital farming or, or data and agriculture. And I thought that was really fascinating. So I think it's something that, you know, we, we don't know a lot about and don't hear a lot about. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that and about how, you know, this sort of, the promise maybe of digital technologies and, you know, data led uh, agriculture is another one of these sort of, you know, seeming fixes for problems that have maybe more fundamental um, uh, sources. Uh, uh, So,
1: yeah, I found this whole idea of digital imperialism really interesting Um, and looking specifically at the Irish context and like technology and kind of knowledge economies more broadly are are kind of the narrative that's really being pushed and you know we see that with all the big tech giants in ireland and so it it's probably particularly prevalent in ireland but definitely this is happening everywhere where people are talking about smart farming or precision agriculture and in my research for the essay i came across this declaration, an EU declaration on a smart and sustainable future for European agriculture and rural areas, which was signed by 24 countries in the EU, including Ireland. And it talked about um, how technologies like artificial intelligence and blockchain technology and the Internet of Things and all these very kind of fancy-sounding technologies were going to be what kind of saves agriculture um and i think there definitely is a place for these by no means we should be like just discounting technology like there's a lot of innovations in there but i think when talking about all these technologies the part of it that tends to get left out is the fact that they only work if there are kind of vast data sets for them to work off and this data comes from individuals and from farmers so we're a lot more used to this Debate in relation to say social media, you know, so the likes of Facebook, people say that it's not it's not a product for users users are the product and then it's kind of harvesting all this data, which is then sold on to advertisers or to other third parties to. You know, try and sell us stuff or more sin- in more sinister cases, we see how you know the kind of political implications of this with like say the US elections So then, bringing that back to agriculture um the people developing a lot of these technologies are private corporations for the most part and they develop these kind of proprietary algorithms and platforms and then go out to farmers and ask them to kind of input it on their farms and collect data from what they're doing and then they they put it in this kind of black box of an algorithm and tell them what the What the answer is or what the solution is so like my concern with this and we kind of saw it with previous rounds of agriculture like with the we're talking about with the kind of fertilizers and these kind of external inputs being put in the farmers become very quickly locked into the system of you know needing to keep getting this information and these resources from these private corporations to keep things going and and also this can lead to kind of a, a loss loss of knowledge of other ways of doing things over time you know they only know how to farm in a certain way so one of the potential issues with um these kind of data driven solutions is that farmers even more so kind of lose this tangible knowledge of how farming works and we're kind of reliant on like with algorithms in general I'm no expert but it seems to be once they're created nobody really knows how they work they kind of just go off and do their thing and you know it's a bit of a a mystery how they work so i think that's a, a real concern to think about um and then also just this kind the other worry is this again this transference of knowledge and resources like if you're viewing data as a resource that farmers and the public own into the hands of these kind of private corporations who are getting more and more power and kind of holding that themselves in ways that isn't um, accessible anymore by the people who actually owned it in the first place. So I do think these technologies, as I said, have a lot of potential, but we just need to make sure as we're having these discussions and developing the systems, that it's a very kind of open source system that's developed in a way that anyone can access it Knowledge can be shared, um, and it doesn't just lead to. So David Harvey talks about accumulation by dispossession, which is the, the, exactly what I've just described: the transfer of kind of wealth and knowledge and resources from the general public into the hands of kind of a smaller and smaller number of kind of private powerful actors.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that you know the the you kind of touched on it there um, you know, throughout what you were saying about the kind of, m- the phases, the, the multiple phases through which we can see that. And it goes back to what you were talking about, um, you know, colonialism, which is this sort of the, uh, the, the original accumulation by dispossession in the sense that these lands are, 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 are seized or, or taken by the colonizer. And I think if you think that moving from, from land as the original enclosure or accumulation by dispossession, thinking about, um, seeds in the context of the green revolution you know biotechnologies the ways in which seeds and knowledge around seeds has been enclosed and privatized and now you think about um you know the knowledge it takes to sort of you know manage farm manage manage animals plants all of that data being this 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 next phase or potential phase of enclosure it all starts to you know make it all the more important that we analyze these things as a continuity you know, and and, you know, think about how we don't just respond to immediate problems, but think about this, you know, the, the overarching kind of um, logics that are going on and how we we challenge them, which brings us to the probably the most important part about how we maybe resist some of these dynamics. And, um, uh, you know, the the thing that you, you you started off by talking about was getting interested in alternative food systems and particularly in the context of Ireland. So I think with the time we have left, we should definitely talk about that. And um, maybe we could start with this idea of agroecology, which is a really important concept within the alternative food movement um, and something that you um, you know, have been have been looking at, at a lot. So maybe you could just explain a little bit what agroecology is.
1: Yeah, so as the name suggests, it's a form of agriculture that is, kind of grounded in ecological practices and kind of more ecological concerns. So in contrast to that kind of mechanical, scientific system, and that I described it, it takes, it kind of goes back nearly to how farming used to be of kind of considering agriculture as this organic living system. I don't mean organic necessarily in the farming sense, but this kind of living thing that has many different ecosystems within it that are all kind of connected on each other and dependent on each other. So it's a much more holistic approach to farming that tries to kind of care for all of these different elements in a way that kind of one goal eventually of agroecology practices is that the systems are kind of become self-sufficient again and kind of need a lot less of these external inputs that currently um, are kind of a big part of farming. Um, and another really essential part of it is the idea of kind of sharing knowledge between different farmers um, and kind of experimentation with different, with different ways of doing things and different types of knowledges. So it's kind of become, a bit of a, a buzzword in talking about alternative ways of doing farming. Um, so I mentioned earlier how my th- for my thesis I'm looking particularly at food sovereignty, um, and one organisation that's really important and kind of popularising this idea is La Via Campesina, who are an international movement of peasant farmers, um, and in their vision of food sovereignty, it's very much interlinked with agroecological practices, and. Um, so that would have been back even kind of from the 90s onwards they've been kind of pushing this idea and we see now where the language of agroecology is being picked up in like eu strategies um, and a un kind of directives which is really promising that you know they're at least aware of these ideas and considering them and um, it obviously kind of we have to see how much that actually ends up being translated into practice um but yeah, it's kind of become the, the, I think the main accepted alternative that we should be focusing on in kind of wider circles.
0: Yeah. And I I guess it, it also, it, 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 you know, there's this stuff about, uh, you know, carbon sequestration as well, which is becoming all the more important in the context of climate change and mitigation. Um, so it seems to have all, it seems to have everything, you know, and I, I teach my, you know, undergraduates about agroecology and it's like, this is obviously we we all need agroecology. Like it's way better than the current dominant system. But then the the, the next set of questions is, um, you know, wh- wh- where, where the key, I don't know, choke points or the key challenges are in in developing agroecology. And I think that that's also something that you've been looking at. So, you know, I wonder if you could say something about that. I mean, there's different ways we could approach that question. But, um, you know, if you could just say a few things about whether that's about the agroecological movement, and about how it's it's organizing, or whether it's about obviously vested interests of agri-industry. You know, there's a whole set of things, access to land policy, but, you know, I'll let you maybe touch on a few things that you think are most important
1: yeah so i think this is something obviously i want to learn more about through my research but from what i've done so far i think the main barrier in ireland anyway is very much a systemic one so um you know policies for example our grants are still focus very much on this kind of export led specialized form of farming um and within that kind of beef and dairy is kind of prioritized um so there are groups in Ireland of farmers who are pushing for agroecology and I might come back to that in a minute but they kind of talk about how the system really isn't set up to support farmers who are trying something different um, so you know if you're a vegetable grower if you're kind of a smaller farmer if you're only focused on kind of growing locally um, things like cap at the moment they just aren't they can't access it so you kind of have to do it on your own um, and this is something that is being recognized at an eu level and at a, an irish government level that it needs to change but the changes are kind of slow and coming um, also then you mentioned like land availability is a big issue so any like younger farmers or people who are kind of entering agriculture with no previous background find it really hard to access land in ireland um, and especially land that actually is productive and kind of doesn't require a lot of work to kind of bring it up to the standards required for these kind of more agroecological practices Um, and then for farmers who might be within the current system and would be interested in trying something different it's really difficult to do that because i mentioned they kind of become locked into these systems of relying on grants with the kind of farming that you're already doing and um, you know many farmers could kind of be quite indebted with the like machinery and all these other things they have bought to kind of ramp up production to meet government's targets and be in line with the strategies that they're pushing for exports and also the soil if you're going to transfer into an agroecological farm you know it's going to take time for soil that has been used to getting all of these external import input for years to suddenly you know start to renew itself so if supports aren't there during that kind of transition period you know very little farmers have the luxury of being able to just kind of not produce or not be selling anything during that time
0: yeah i mean and that's that's just the kind of challenges at the this in in terms of production i guess there's a whole set of other ones about you know distribution and and consumption and you know the, the price of food and you know how a- a- agroecological production is supposed to compete with you know the mass production of very cheap food relatively um you know so it's it is it's it, i think the agri-food questions around agri-food really you know they 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 throw into relief you know what you know about through your own first-hand experience is just the scale and complexity of these agri-food systems that have been developing over such a long time and are so kind of um um you know um ossified and 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 difficult to imagine a way through but um you mentioned there that you you maybe wanted to get back to talking about some of these groups that are you know actively um you know making alternatives and um you know developing new networks which i think is so important you know connecting producers and consumers new kind of food supply chains maybe you want to um we could end, you, you could talk a little bit more about them and and, um, and then if people are who are listening are interested, they can also follow up themselves.
1: Yeah, so, you know, there are loads of farmers in Ireland kind of currently trying or who want to try these alternative or kind of agroecological practices. Um, and I think at the moment, if you look at it, a lot of people might even be doing these practices without explicitly saying they're agroecological um but the most explicitly agroecological group in ireland at the moment are a group called tal of Bio. Um, and so they were set up in 2019 by farmers in ireland to really want to kind of change the system um and you know even in that short amount of time with the pandemic in the middle of it they've done a lot of great work so they you know protested outside government buildings they've looked at kind of alternative policies and frameworks that could um start to address some of those issues that i mentioned earlier about how current systems and cap grants etc are set up um, and they also do a lot of kind of educational work with farmers and um, you know their website has kind of short courses you can do they are currently doing kind of farm walks the people can Go to and see how the system is set up, um, and some of their farmers at the moment are also involved in this um, EIP Agri initiative. So this is a um, EU initiative. I think it's European Innovation Partnership um, that is trying to try more collaborative ways of farming um, and bringing together kind of farmers and scientists and different experts to see what alternatives could look like um and what all of BIO specifically are doing at the moment is a soil biodiversity project um so yeah they're kind of trying to bring together all of these different kind of individuals who are practicing this within ireland um because a, a big problem at the moment is we have you know quite um established farmer representation in ireland for the likes of the ifa who you know they have the kind of political power and they have the numbers to get a place at kind of government policy tables and to have their voice heard um, and that's what toll of are trying to do for these kind of this alternative system and kind of also have a place at that table and be able to enter the dialogue and um, so yeah i think anyone who's interested in this should definitely look at what they're doing um because it's i think it's really interesting now to see where they'll go since as i said they've already done this in such a short amount of time
0: yeah yeah completely agree they're so they're really inspiring um campaign and and movement and i think it's it's good to end on that sort of hopeful note and i i'm personally i'm really looking forward to your thesis to see how your research develops and where it goes, because I think it's really important and um, uh, you know, relevant work at the, you know, at the moment and not many people are doing it. So uh, good luck with the thesis and <laughs> um, thanks for telling us about your work.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs>